This morning on this Mother's Day, I'm going to be reading from the book of Romans, chapter 16. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And one very interesting verse, Romans 16 and verse 13 on this Mother's Day Sunday. And this is one verse that mentions a mother. And this mother is an unnamed woman, and she's only mentioned one time. All we know of her is that she was the mother of a man named Rufus, and that Paul considered her to be his mom too. Because this is the text, Romans 6, 13. In the New King James, it reads, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. In the Greek, it says it this way, As pazomai Rufus eclectos en curios kai autos meter kai and I read that in the Greek because this is what it means literally. Hug Rufus, the Lord's favorite, and his mother and mine. And this is a very compelling statement by the Apostle Paul as he is concluding his letter to the church at Rome, a place that he had not yet been able to visit. But he had heard about this powerful move of God in that city. And though he knew a number of people who were in the church from other places, he's writing a letter to the church at Rome. Now, on this Mother's Day, I'm asking the question, who was this mother that would stir this kind of sentiment from the Apostle Paul? Paul wrote this letter to the Romans when he was at Corinth. And this was about 10 years before he would go to Rome for the first time. And in the last chapter of this letter, he mentions a number of people in the Roman church that he knew and had apparently traveled to Rome, either from Corinth or other places where Paul had met them. And if we begin to piece together little pieces of evidence we can begin to gain an understanding of who this unnamed mother was. It's actually a very compelling story of a wife and mother who followed her husband into the will of God and raised her children there. So on this Mother's Day, I'm going to preach a sermon I call His Mother and Mine. And I want you to, first of all, consider this story from a mother's perspective. Who was this woman that Paul says of her, she's my mom too? Now, she was a typical mother. A typical in the sense that, one, she's unnamed. Two, she was there in the middle of it all 
And three, there was so much that was beyond her control. Now, there are pieces of evidence that tell us who she was. For example, the commentator Ellicott says this, Simon of Cyrene is described in Mark's gospel as the father of Alexander and Rufus. And as there is substantial tradition favored by some internal indications that this gospel, Mark's gospel, was written at Rome, it is not unlikely that the same Rufus may be met, meaning that the Rufus mentioned in Mark chapter uh, 15 is the same Rufus that's being mentioned here in Romans chapter 16. Now, the scripture he's referring to, and again, the commentators, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, all agree with Ellicott. They said, in all likelihood, this was the very same Rufus. This is what the, the scripture they're talking about in Mark 15, verse 21. It says, They compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And if you know the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, you know that when they began to drive Jesus toward Golgotha, toward Calvary, that Jesus was so overcome by his injuries at that time that he could no longer bear the cross and they arbitrarily pulled a man out of the crowd and made him carry Jesus's cross. That's who this man Simon the Cyrene was. And it was Mark's gospel, the only one of the gospels that mentions the story, that tells us that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Matthew mentions the account of this man being pulled out of the crowd, mentioning his name and where he's from. Luke does the same, but neither one of them give us the added information that we have in the gospel of Mark. Mark is a gospel that is believed to have been written from Rome. And the reason why he has the extra information is because he knew the people. He knew Alexander and Rufus and at least their mother, if not their father, Simon. That's why in his gospel, he gives the name, the country of the origin, and the son's name. Matthew and Luke, again, mention the incident, but don't give us all of that information. So if we connect those pieces of evidence together, we begin to get an idea who this woman was. In Mark chapter 15, in this account where her husband is pulled out of the crowd to bear Jesus' cross, obviously she is there. And though her husband and sons are named, we don't know her name. Now let's kind of go back in time and imagine what her day would have been like that day. The Bible says that they were from a place called Cyrene. In modern-day northern Africa, it's right around where you find the nation of Libya. And so this is not in Israel. This is some distance away. And the Bible says they came in from the country and passing by. And the reason why they were coming in is because they were coming, no doubt, for the feast of Passover. Because Passover was just beginning. And so kind of put yourself in their shoes. 
No doubt this was a trip that they had planned for, perhaps for years, and saved up money. This man and his wife wanted to bring their sons to Jerusalem. They were Jews living in Cyrene, and they wanted to go to Jerusalem. Because every year where they would observe what they call the Seder, the meal at Passover, one of the things that every Jewish household says is next year in Jerusalem. And so they were sitting there the year before, next year in Jerusalem, and they were excited because they knew that next year they would really be in Jerusalem. And now here they are. They're coming from the country. They're passing by. They're excited to finally be in Jerusalem for the Passover. And what do they find? They find a crowd of people. Now, maybe that's not completely unusual at Passover. They expected crowds of people, but this crowd's different. This crowd is full of tension. They're hearing people and their cries. People are crying out and some people are weeping and uh, this doesn't seem right. And they're wondering what's going on here. And so they kind of press toward the front of the crowd and what they see are Roman soldiers whipping a man. And a man who was obviously badly injured, hauling a cross, barely able to do it. And the Romans are yelling at him and whipping him. Now they'd seen this before. They're from Cyrene, and that part of the world was a province in the Roman Empire. And they'd seen Roman soldiers before. They'd seen people being abused by Roman soldiers before. They've even seen people crucified, no doubt. And so they understood what they were looking at. But you have to understand their mindset. They were coming for Passover. They were coming to celebrate next year in Jerusalem. And here it is. They're finally there and they're clean and happy. Looking forward to the week that lies ahead. And then they are shocked by what they see. The brutality and the blood. They see Jesus trying to carry this cross, weakened from the beating that he'd already received, weakened from the dehydration and the loss of blood and the sleep deprivation. And he can't go on. And as they're watching this, and the Romans whipping him and compelling him to go on, then all of a sudden, a nightmare begins to unfold. Because chosen completely at random is Simon, her husband. He's taken out of the crowd. They just got there. They just came in from the country. They're just passing by. They're there for Passover. They have no idea what's going on here. They're looking. Next thing you know, a Roman soldier's reaching into the crowd, pulling Simon by his garment and commanding him to carry the cross. You see, everybody who lived in a Roman province understood that if a Roman soldier compelled you to carry his burden, that you were legally required to do so for at least one mile. And this burden was the cross of Jesus. And this soldier grabs Simon out of the crowd and says, pick up the cross. And there's nothing that he could say, nothing he could do. His wife and his sons are in shock now. They're afraid for Simon because they know that Romans need very little cause to be brutal and they're in shock as they see Simon go over and pick up what is a cross that is already bloody and he puts it on his shoulder and he begins to carry it up to Golgotha now at that moment 
This man, Simon, did not know that Jesus was innocent. He didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God. In his mind, Jesus was just a criminal. And he's being punished and is going to be crucified that day. And as this man, Simon, is carrying the cross of Jesus, he's covered with sweat, he's covered with dirt, he's covered with blood, and every eye in the crowd is fixed on him. And as he carries that cross, anyone who came to look and didn't understand what had just happened may have thought that he was the criminal that was being crucified. Now what happened there on that day and one of the reasons why this man's mentioned by name in three of the four Gospels is because there was a transformation, an unexpected transformation. In that moment that seemed so awful to Simon, this wonderful dream of bringing his family to Jerusalem for Passover was suddenly quickly stripped away. Now he's in the middle of a nightmare. He's carrying the stained, bloody cross of who he thinks is a criminal. He is carrying this burden. He's exhausted. He feels the eyes of the crowd. He feels the Romans' ridicule and uh, their contempt. And even as this man Simon was in this terrible moment, he didn't understand at the moment that he was the first person to be covered by the shed blood of Jesus transferred from the cross. Finally, he reaches Golgotha, Calvary. They take the cross from his shoulders. He's able to go back to his wife and his sons. And they stand there and watch in horror as they take Jesus and nail him to that cross. And then erect the cross between two other crosses. They stand there in horror as they watch Jesus being mocked by the high priests and the spectators. As he's crucified, they watch as the soldiers cast lots for his garments. And as a soldier thrusts a sword into his side, watching water and blood come out of his side. They're standing there that day watching the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And they're horrified. He's covered with Jesus' blood and sweat. They turn away, no doubt shaken by what they've just experienced. But then they start hearing rumors. They start hearing people talk about who this Jesus was and why he was crucified. And then as they stayed for the Passover, because they were going to be there for a week, about halfway through, all of a sudden, rumors. What? What are you talking about? The veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. It says in Matthew 27, 
Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. All of a sudden they start hearing, what What are we talking about? The veil in the temple was torn. How can that happen? That's 70 feet tall. It's five feet thick and it's torn from top to bottom. What are you talking about? Yeah, I felt that earthquake. What are you talking about? People walking through Jerusalem who had died. What do you mean Jesus' tomb is empty? I saw him die. And it's very possible that this is where Simon and his wife and their two sons became believers. Perhaps they were among the 500 or so who saw Jesus after he'd raised from the dead. It's also possible that they were there in the crowd 50 days later at Pentecost in Jerusalem because in Acts 2 it says there were people there from Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. It's possible they could have even been among the 120 that were in the upper room. Or maybe they were among the 3,000 who were saved on the day of Pentecost and they were now members of that fledgling Jerusalem church. And they may well have been among those who were scattered at the persecution when Stephen had been stoned. However it unfolded for them, this family was swept in to this wonderful adventure called the will of God. And wherever God took them, here was a woman, a mother, who supported her husband, Simon, as he pursued the will of God. And she raised her sons right smack in the middle of the will of God. And somewhere along the way, could have been in Antioch, could have been in Macedonia, could have been in Achaia, they met a preacher by the name of Paul. And as they got to know each other, Paul could have learned that this man, Simon, was that Simon. The one that was pulled out of the crowd who actually got to bear himself the cross of Jesus. Who had Jesus' blood cover him from the cross. And in the moment, it was the most horrible moment in Simon's life. Now he looked back on it as being a gift from God. The privilege that God would choose him for that moment. And no doubt, Paul was amazed. And this is what I want us to see as he got to know that family and their sons. That he built a relationship with them. And this mother began to mother Paul. She was kind to him. She cared for him. She was tender toward him. She probably saw this guy on his own, bearing the weight of the kingdom of God upon his shoulders. 
the many, many churches that were looking to him, his constant run-ins with the authorities, the scars on his body from beatings and abuses. And in her heart, she had compassion on him. And she just simply cared. Because he says of her, his mother and mine. There's no one who can love like a mother. There's something about when a woman becomes a mother. It opens up a side of her that was put there by God. That can't be opened up any other way. But once that part of her is open. God can actually use that. Not just for the benefit of her own children. But for the entire world around her. That that mother's love can begin to touch. The world around her can touch the church, the people of God. Because a mother loves in a special way. She has a sensitivity, a tenderness, a care. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul had a stream of unsolicited advice and motherly wisdom that came from this woman. Because, you know, when you become a mother, you know everything about anything. Or just about. And Paul felt the warmth of her mother, motherly love. And there was something about that that so impacted him that he never forgot her. So that years later, as he's writing a letter to people far away, he says, Hug Rufus, the Lord's favorite, and his mother and mine. See, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church at Rome. He was in Corinth at the time. He had heard about the move of God in the city of Rome, all of these people who had given their hearts to Jesus. He was amazed at how God would move. And he also knew that there were a number of people in that church that he had known personally from other places and that's why at the end of the letter to the Romans in chapter 16, there is a whole list of people that Paul says, I want you to hug these people. Now, the translator uses the word greet or salute, depending on the translation you read. And they do so rightly. And I, the reason why I, want, I say they did that rightly, because in that culture... When you greeted someone, you hugged them. That's what the Greek word means, espazomai. It means actually to enfold in your arms, to hug someone. And that's the way they would greet each other uh, culturally. It wasn't something that was just something the Christians did. This was something that was cultural. And so Paul used the word that said, to greet or to salute someone, but it was understood that that was the kind of uh, greeting that would be given, this hug. But that's what it means. 
to hug. For example, in Acts chapter 20, it says this, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. It's the same word. And it means to embrace. In Hebrews 11, the writer says, uses the word this way, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Again, the idea of embracing. And so when Paul says, greet Rufus, he's saying, hug Rufus. He's saying, hug Rufus, the Lord's favorite, and his mother and mine. See, what I want us to understand from this is a mother's influence on the world around her. Because a mother has the ability to make people feel accepted. To make people feel loved. Some years ago, I don't know if they're still around, but there were some videos circulating on YouTube. And these videos basically were nothing more than a woman speaking softly and tenderly. And doing these most inane of things, folding a piece of paper or who knows what else. What she was doing was not even important, but just the way she was doing it. Because she was talking really softly and just really tenderly. And they were popular. And I saw a couple of these videos and I scratched my head and I thought, what in the world would compel people to subscribe to this? And then it occurred to me, because this was meeting a need in the millennial generation that was raised in daycare. And their hearts craved a mother's tenderness. You see, a mother can have very powerful influence on the world around her just because she's a mother. Her warm embrace, her acceptance, her love. And when a woman becomes a mother, this quality is drawn out of her. Something that is placed there by God and is actually a reflection of God himself. This selfless love, this selfless tenderness, this selfless care. And when a woman who is a mother will cultivate this, when she will allow God to use it, she is a blessing far beyond her ability to understand. Yes, well, you know, you mean he's going to mother other people? Yeah, pretty much. And sometimes those who are being mothered can roll their eyes and say, mother, mom, But when we say things like that to our moms, we better remember that we're of the, among the very special ones who have that privilege to be loved like that. To be loved by somebody who loves you that much. Paul said of this man Rufus, Rufus eclectos and curios, it means God's favorite. Why would he say that about him? I mean, God loves us all. 
He was basically, and it's like him kidding Rufus. He no doubt used to tease him and call him God's favorite or God's consentido. You're spoiled. You're special to God. Hug Rufus for me, the one who's special to God. You know, a mother's love imparts this sense of being special. A child is, feels special when that child is loved by his mother or her mother. And when you feel, you're made to feel special, it's not hard for you to believe that God thinks you're special too. My brother Fred said something to me after my mother passed away. He said, Mom had a way of making each one of us feel like we were her favorite. And I said, you mean I wasn't? And this, no doubt, is why the Apostle Paul was drawn to this mom because of her kindness, because of her actions that made him feel accepted and special. No doubt when he was carrying the heavy burdens and thinking about what he was going to do next and how is he going to deal with this issue and deal with this problem, and she just was simply there with a smile, with a heart of acceptance. No doubt cooking him that special soup that he really liked. Maybe something his mother would have made. How did you know? Well, she just knows. When you become a mom, you know everything about anything. And it's very possible that at this particular time when Paul wrote the letter and he said those words, hug Rufus, God's special one, and his mother and mine, that she was without her husband because he's not mentioned. She may have been living as a widow in her son's home, no doubt feeling a bit like a fifth wheel, not wanting to be a burden, but not realizing that she was far from being a burden. That she was one who was willing to bear the burden. Someone who could meet a need um, like no one else could. A mom. And there's no doubt that she made herself invaluable to that Roman church. She made herself unforgettable to the Apostle Paul by simply being herself. Remember to hug Rufus, the Lord's favorite, and his mother and mine. I want you to bow your heads where you are this morning. Mom, it's... Sometimes I know you feel completely inadequate. Sometimes I know you feel like 
those babies that God gave you deserve better. But what God wants you to know this morning, daughter, is that he is well pleased that your children have the best. Before we do anything else this morning, I want to give opportunity to anyone who may be listening to me on this live stream broadcast who is not a Christian. When I say that you're not a Christian, I mean that your sins are not forgiven. Christ is not your Savior. He's not your Lord. Not because He doesn't want to be. It's because you have not yet allowed Him to be. Friend, He loves you so much that He gave His life on that cross for your sins and for mine. He loves us so much that He rose from the dead on the third day and He's alive today, seated at the Father's right hand, listening to you. And if you would simply call on him, he would forgive you of your sins. He would wash you clean from your sins. And if that's you this morning listening to me right where you are, and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Ray, I would like to be a Christian, but how do I do that? The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And right where you are, I want you to bow your head if you are sincere Bow your head, and I want you to pray this simple prayer with me, right out loud. Just say, Lord Jesus. Go ahead and say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you to have mercy on me. I'm inviting you into my heart to forgive me for all of my sins. For I know that you died for me on the cross, and I know that you rose from the dead. And I make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. For I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you pray that prayer or any prayer like it, you're saved. It's as simple as that. Your sins are forgiven. Christ is your Savior. And I want you to, I want you to come next Sunday at 1030 right here at the Christian Center. You'll be welcome. I'm talking to God's people for a moment. I'm talking to moms. Mom, there's a part of you that has been brought out simply because you're a mom. Something that was placed there by your Father in heaven for the benefit of your children and your grandchildren and their children, but not just them, for the rest of the world and more specifically for his own church. God just simply wants you to be who you are because being who you are is good enough. It's more than good enough. God wants to use that part of you to be a benefit to others, to love others like only a mom can, with a warmth and an acceptance and a sensitivity. And again, it's an amazing thing as you read through this letter. Paul's mentioning these other people and then he says, and you know what? Hug Rufus. God's consentido. And his mom. And my mom. I have no doubt that when this letter was read in the Roman church on that Sunday morning, and he got, they got to that part, the pastor read that, that there was a tear in her eye. Because... Paul remembered her and made a point 
to not just mention her, but to mention her boy. And she realized, you know what, my life does count. My life has made a difference. And on this Mother's Day, we just want you to understand that, that we, we love you and we appreciate who you are, who God has made you. Amen. I want you to turn right where you are, make an altar or right where you're sitting. Why don't we restart that song? We're going to sing that song, Jesus, lover of my soul, just to give people a chance to get a hold of God this morning. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay, set my feet upon the rock, now I Let's worship God together right now.